0: Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading the Green Majority podcast. Enjoy this week's show, which was uh, our first one with a little bit of additional help. We're still going to take a little while to get used to working on the systems about how to actually, uh, uh, organize ourselves more than the night before. Thanks to all this new, uh, help, but hopefully, uh, you all, li- uh, listeners, uh, notice a slight and increasing over time, a little uptick in, in preparedness and in quality. So, you know, we, uh, we think we have a lot of fun on the show, but, uh, of course the, 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 quality does vary and with, uh, show to show, depending on Stefan and mine's, time, a regretful necessity, one we're hoping can now be avoided. So if uh, if you're already a member, we hopefully you will you will see your, your contribution uh, put to work. And if you're not, this is a great time to support us. We've uh, diverted the entire Patreon account to uh, our help from now on uh, to get the show, at least for the time being. You know, if it gets up into the tens of thousands of dollars, maybe we'll I'll uh, have something else uh, to do with that money, but for now, all resources are being diverted to uh, support uh, staff and, and resources. So hopefully, you notice that coming online. And now is a great time to sign up if you're not a member. You can do that at Patreon.com/patreon.com/slash/GreenMajority. Sign up and support the show. Aside from that, enjoy. Have great. Uh, enjoy the episode. We uh, we talk about some some good stuff this week, and and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Take care. Welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority. Good morning, Stephen. How you doing? I'm in a weird mood today. That's clear. Like a different weird mood <laughs> <laughs> than my normal weird mood. Good morning, Stefan. Good morning, more importantly, no offense, listeners uh, to our Toronto audience uh, listening live here at CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto, or possibly one of our wonderful community partners uh, across the country, internationally, our podcast listeners all over the world. Uh, it's been a while since we've played a game of let's pick on a random small town that listens <laughs> to us. We'll get back to that eventually. It's all in good fun, we hope, at least from our side. Yes. uh uh, but here's the this week's show so this week's show um i I always enjoy stuff and i actually prefer when you send out the show emails because you're really good at like coming up with funny names for the section so as (laughs) usual i'm going to use your funny names to actually identify them that is fair uh so uh, in reverse order the final segment is called bad news bears (laughs) isn't that every segment yeah basically (laughs) although this bad news bear section has no bears involved ah okay Uh, So at the end of the show, we're going to be talking about uh, some more science, uh, uh, frequently, uh, you know, generally climate change stuff, but uh, more about the specific impacts as we see these impacts roll in, Uh, not because we want to make you depressed, but because we think that um, if I may cheat to the end, uh, largely because these impacts are tangible and happening now. And we think that they're the most effective way, or at least one of the effective ways in which you can get people to speed up action or get on board is to say, hey, this is to remind them how much of an immediate problem this is. So some of that, hopefully not a downer at the end of the show, but some important information that might help you talk about this subject with people and that take it importantly at the end of the show. Uh, In the middle of the show, I will be talking about the budget. Uh, 2018 federal budget just came out. Uh, Lots to say about it, very little to say about it, both at the same time, because it's (laughs) kind of... Well, there's... Uh, there's good stuff, there's bad stuff, and it's sort of net neutral? I don't know. You'll have to find out in the middle. I'm I'm not even sure how I'm going to express it, but definitely a lot to say about that. Uh, But first, you know, we do things in the order of importance, so the most important topic is jellyfish apocalypse, go.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, So, for those of you who thought to themselves, Stefan hasn't talked about jellyfish enough recently on this show, good news. Here's an entire segment about jellyfish. For those of you who have thought, why does Stefan keep bringing up jellyfish on the uh, on the on the show? My answer is this relates you'll get it eventually <laughs> I promise. Um, no so I actually yeah so I've so, for a long-time listener to the show may be aware that I have, from time to time, expressed that the jellyfish apocalypse is one of my top three favorite apocalypses. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, running a show on climate change and environment basically means that every week we're, we're thrown with a, possi- a possible Armageddon, and I've always found the jellyfish Armageddon to be one that was, a, a li- like, a little more interesting than the rest.
0: Right. Well, I mean, if, if you talk about, you know, th- existential risks all day, um, you know, gamifying coming up with the most fun ones is kind kind of a good mitigation strategy. So it, I actually approve. So. Yeah,
1: well, that's good news. Um, and so where does, where does the jellyfish apocalypse come from? Where does this I have an idea come from? And it and it comes from the uh, some basically some research over the last 20 years. And there was this weird jump in in news stories in the early 2010s, or whenever you call the 2010s, like 2011, 2012, to 2014-ish. There were like a variety. The 20-teens? 20-teens. Oh, there you go. Um, there were a variety of stories during this time that all came out in uh, in like different sort of different sort of you know popular news articles. You know, there's, the, there's ones from the Daily Mail, there's one from Mother Jones, there's one from uh, you know these a whole bunch of variety of, of other websites and and news articles that sort of come, all come, all came out around saying the same thing, which is basically that as oceans acidify. Uh, there is going to be an increasingly likely chance that uh, that populations of jellyfish explode. Basically, that's that's the idea. Um, is that is that there was a pretty they they scientists had felt like there's a correlation between uh, these these sort of jellyfish blooms that they were seeing with more acidic oceans, and and this caused everyone to go to decide that there was jellyfish were going to take over the oceans as cl- global warming increases. City, so. This was, this was a fun story. And I, th- I believe we covered it at some point. I, saw, I, I, I threw out this uh, around that time talking about this concept uh, because let the jelly getting is a funny thing to talk about. And it's honestly a good way to talk about ocean acidification. Like, if you want to talk about ocean acidific- acidification, which is ultimately a relatively, while very important, perhaps scientifically technical and boring conversation. And so using the jellyfish armageddon as a way to talk about it was was valuable. Until... About uh, a couple months ago, when a uh, friend of the show and oft contributor Deirdre uh, tweeted out a link that was basically saying something along the lines of, This is not true at all. The jelly is not going to happen. Uh, you're wrong. Um, and, or everyone who's sort of worrying about this is wrong. Uh, and it all came out from the science writer named Christy Wilcox. And she sort of had this, ha- had this, had this article that sort of outlined the numbers of ways. In which this was actually not gonna happen. The, the the title of the thing is literally Don't Fear the Jelly Get in. um Yeah, Stefan. Yeah, exactly. And sh- that should have been the rest of the title. Stefan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Comma Stefan. Um and and so in this in this article, Christy Wilcox does a pretty good job of laying out a lot of the sort of problems with the theory. And also sort of how how science how the science was misinterpreted to ultimately end up with this existence of this possible jelly again being a thing that was being reported all across the world, and a couple things. The the the, the she starts off with this conversation with Rob Condon or Condone probably, um, and he's a, a plankton ecologist at the University of North Carolina. Uh, Wilmington, and he's been studying jellyfish for 15 years. This guy manages a jellyfish database initiative, which has over 500,000 rec- records on jellyfish distributions. Uh, so, like, this is the this is maybe one of the top scientists in jellyfish knowledge. And if it's not, maybe there's someone out there with millions of jellyfish, and this guy's like a small fry. But I still think 500,000 records of of jellyfish uh, distribution specifically is makes him at least far more of an expert than I. Let's let's be real, um, and he basically says, in quote, the doom and gloom thing has been done to death and it's incorrect. <laughs> Pretty direct there, Rob. Um, Again,
0: comma, Stephen.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and he comes out and basically says that. Um, there are a couple of reasons why this misinterpretation happened. The first is that jellyfish operate on a 20-year cycle, mm-hmm. and so pe- people were experiencing sort of the, a, a significant rise in jellyfish as oceans became more acidic. But that is because the ocean rise was also due to the fact that, like you know, populations increase and decrease in a cycle, and they were seeing they were taking too small of a sample size uh, of of a timeline to and, and sort of extrapolating from that.
0: What might be called a correlation that is not a causation. Right. Exactly.
1: Uh, and the second problem was that was, was a general but widespread misunderstanding of foundational papers. Mm. Which is kind of concerning mm-hmm. um, as a thought. But basically, yeah, basically there's a, there was a pretty good um, overarching theme here in which it was just like, they, there, was so, there was some, there was people sort of overstated or presumed that they did more information or, or took parts of studies that they thought would fit better and, and ultimately created this body of work all based off of somewhat flawed or incorrect data.
0: Can I may I pause you really briefly? Sure. Uh, just because we we're talking about science and, and science and uh, is sort of as you as everyone knows one of my hobby horses is defending science. Um, you know, people say aha. You know, n- not necessarily listeners to this program, but people mm. say like take this and stuff like this and say aha! I knew we couldn't trust those sneaky scientists. Mm. Look, they were wrong. Yes, but you know the beautiful part about science is the best way to make a name for yourself is to prove somebody else wrong. <laughs> That's why it's uh, internally. checking mechanism so we may not have the final answer all the time but we're always working on it always improving and that's where all the incentives live just needed to make Mm -hmm. a psa there for a moment continue
1: well uh, it's funny you should say that because the, so in this in this version of the story, all is settled in the world of jellyfish versus human Armageddon scenarios, right? We've sort of got to a point where we feel relatively confident that uh, that jellyfish will not destroy us all. Um, and there's you know there's a variety of articles also linked within this first article that Christy Wilcox put out that that sort of speak to a direct, you know there are papers out that are sort of foundationally destroy this argument. And then, and then, Someone comes out with an article called Box Jellyfish Will Destroy Future Oceans By Gobbling Up Food In (laughs) in the writer of that article The same Christy Wilcox a year later (gasps) That is right Scienti- science writer Christy Wilcox is, is she- all on this jellyfish beat. Is she on your payroll? Uh, I, wish. I I have to ask you, you know, I, no, for the I- sake of
0: transparency. She, exactly.
1: actually I looked into it after reading both these articles and discovered that she is a well-known science writer uh, yeah. and seems like she knows her stuff. She actually wrote a book called, I think it's called Venom or something like that, mm-hmm. and it's got a jellyfish on the cover. I think um, this is screaming for an interview, Stephen. It's, <laughs> perhaps. To get to the bottom of this once overall.. Right. So this new article comes out, and this <laughs> is the, why, why I, why I want to get back to it, because I think the whole, the whole, this, whole, this whole saga, I think, is, illu- is illustrative of something. Um, and so basically, it turns out that while it does not appear that acidic oceans impact uh, the number of jellyfish, acidic oceans do impact jellyfish, but in a completely <laughs> different way. <laughs> um and and the reason and the reason to fear jellyfish is actually dramatically more complicated. And it all comes out from surrounding some work uh on how, how acidification might impact uh copepods or copepods. Uh and there are these they're these there are these They're very these little things are very important. They're tiny crustaceans, um, and they're the most abundant animal on Earth by mass. Mm. So, like you ever seen those things about like how much humans are, and then how much how many like the weight of of humans and and the weight of all these other things? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So these are these these copepods are the most abundant on Earth by mass, Mm. and basically they are. they swarm in vast numbers uh, in all regions of the oceans and the, large animals, the bottom of the food chain. Animals eat them. Mm. Um, and and another scientist named Ed Hamill of Utah State University uh, sort of basically says that uh, what happens to coat pods affects all of us. Uh, we all depend on them, um, or affects all that depend on them. And then he's quoted as saying, which is pretty much everything. So somewhat important. Mm-hmm. and. Previous studies had sort of found that these, these, these copepods, I'm certainly saying that wrong, um, were fairly resistant to ocean acidification. So like, so, like, again, they're like, okay, maybe this is okay. Maybe these things are fine. They'll survive even as oceans get worse uh, and are more acidic, and so they'll be okay. But what they didn't check was community level uh science mm. on on these oceans and how much and how and, and what happens when you sort of you have acidic more acidic oceans with uh, within a larger
0: ecosystem. Mm. So just to be clear what you mean by that that's sort of like they were looking at individuals and this is now looking at more out of a systems dynamic.
1: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yes. The code pods survive acidic oceans. Um but in a, but alone but in an ecosystem uh you actually start seeing some much more difficult things which basically is that um these uh they basically put a they put zooplankton, which is some part of, in with jellyfish who eat these 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 things, and and put the water to approximately what they would imagine they predicted 2100 would be, and added a box of jellyfish to tanks to eat them, and after 10 days they counted what survived kind of like a, like, they're already creating their own little copepod Armageddon to test right. the large Armageddon theory, right. which, you know, I'm into. <laughs> um, and it turns out that both acidification and box jellyfish reduce the number of copepods. Hmm. But together, they uh, cause so much more. Like, they, they co- t- together they cause 27% more deaths than the sum of the two individually. Mm-hmm. So, if you just acidic coke pods, they'd be the, some the, some reduction. If you just had jellyfish, there'd be some reduction. But the combination of the two actually compounded the problem to the point where twenty seven percent even more than the add up uh, were, were, were were went all down. And it's not, it was, it was it's a pretty high number actually, because the jellyfish, when they were to sort of in the non uh, acidic oceans, uh, ate about thirty seven percent of the copepods. pods. With the acidic ocean, they ate almost eighty-three percent of the of these copepods.
0: You might say Which, the acidic ocean gave them the munchies,
1: <laughs> perhaps. Mm. Um, although uh, the, the the theory of, is actually that they simultaneously makes them hungrier and makes copepods weaker, mm. and so that so the so they actually do so they eat more. But this is means that there's about a fifty percent increase of jellyfish eating from in, in as the as oceans get more acidic, and this it is argued by Christy Wilcox, is the reason to fear the jellyfish Armageddon.
0: <laughs> is mean. that
1: the jellyfish, while not overwhelming the sea, may still be the only ones left due to eating all of their own food mm. and uh, everyone else's food as they go.
0: So hope for the jellyfish Armageddon lives. Exactly. There you go. Um, but after, after
1: 12 minutes of this conversation, I imagine listeners may be wondering why I bring it up. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering. <laughs> everyone probably should be. <laughs> um, and and there, are two, there are three main reasons. The first is just to point out how little we understand about the world around us. You know, if, if you if you if you just presumed like there's a level of which I think humans presume that they can understand the world around us. And I think whenever I find an example of this of like we don't even understand something very, very simple. Um, and this obviously and ocean ecological systems they are not simple. Um, and so the idea that even that we could sort of begin to think that what's happening with jellyfish and then have an entirely different theory and then have like, like the fact that these are the types of conversations we're still having and that we have, it just highlights to me how little understanding we have about what global warming will actually bring. You know, the idea of what we're actually walking into is so outside of a realm of not understanding. Much less saying c- it will be
0: beneficial for
1: us. Yeah. Like it's just, it's so outside of a realm. Like let a, like we don't even know what happens with jellyfish, let alone the rest of the world. Right. It's like, it's, it's. An example of just how much this is concerning. And this is literally after decades of research on jellyfish and acidic oceans because of this whole conversation that, that arose earlier. And so it's not like we haven't been studying them. And so that's one, just little how little we know. Two is the warning on generally just reading headlines. Because mm-hmm. if you ever think that 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 science disagrees with stuff all the time or that or that everything if you, everything if you just read headlines you'll constantly be contradicting yourself every time you sort of re, re, come back mm-hmm. because if you don't sort of get deeper into these stories you don't understand all pieces and I, I myself am immediately Uh, guilty of that in that I got really into the idea of jellyfish Armageddon and and ran with it to talk about ocean ocean acidification when had I done any research (laughs) I would have realized that that, even that particular conversation had already been uh, had
0: already been moot Right. and so and so that's, that's on, that, on before yeah. you sorry move before you move on I'm gonna add to t- today's uh, show post because it, it, my what, what, what we'll call recommended reading is recommended right. watching right uh, is the John Oliver uh, I've actually posted it before because it's excellent uh, but the John Oliver clip from last week tonight is available on YouTube from them so it should be fine to post I, right, so. I hope <laughs> Um uh, but it's the, the segment on, on uh, scientific studies. Mm. And what it identifies is it shows a whole bunch of the original research, essentially, and then the news stories that were done about them. So part of the idea, yes, you know, the, the idea that science is a self-correcting mechanism and that's a strength, not a weakness, that's a, that's a, bu- that's a feature, not a bug, uh, and that's where its strength comes from, not a weakness to it, is part of it but a much bigger part of it as far as like people's understanding of that and people's impression of the whimsical nature of science is almost not at all about the actual scientists and almost 100% about the people reporting about it not understanding it and wanting to make it something final right when these studies come out it shows under the what it's actually saying the study doesn't say we're all gonna die what the study says is in this circumstance when we tested this in these parameters with these study components we got these results Nobody ever the study doesn't say and we accounted for everything. This study is perfect. It accounts for all contingencies and no one can ever question it. And yet that's how it's always reported as if they're saying that. So when something comes out, well, uh, some revising information, people go, aha, the science was wrong. No, the journalist was wrong. Mm-hmm. Or and you didn't understand what you were reading in almost 100 percent of cases i just want to do that psa if you'd like to know more about that john oliver's piece is not just funny but excellently done as usual so i am going to post it and if you haven't seen it please do watch it even if you think you are up on science it is it is very very useful knowledge to have and, and provides very good examples i love it i learned a lot and it's a topic i enjoy so so there i i will do that thank you Excellent. um
1: and and the final reason is uh to warn everyone about the upcoming jellyfish Armageddon. This is, there's, (laughs) there's, there's, it remains uh, one of my top three Armageddons, apparently in new form, although the idea of filling the oceans Armageddon, filling oceans with jellyfish was actually more interesting to me than them just ruining the ocean. But either way, it still keep. it might get bumped down to two or three from number one, but it's still up there. And this is like, all of this is, this should be sort of a representative of just how little we understand. Yeah. Uh, and how interesting it all is. Like I actually I will admit, I, I put I, I did some of this research in part just so I could talk about jellyfish and I was I act like I read so much about jellyfish now, and I don't know why. But like, it's every time a little. It's, it's one of those little things. It's like, oh well, now I now there's a whole bunch of information about jellyfish that
0: I hope all of you enjoyed. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually launching a new startup today, Stefan. I'm I'm wondering mm. if I can get you to, to uh, invest on air. It's a company that sells uh, freaking sharks with freaking laser beams on their heads to, to fight the offset the uh, mm. jellyfish arm again.
1: I, I yeah, honestly, I would watch that. Okay.
0: <laughs> Moving on. Uh, this the uh, time for our first uh, uh, break. We're going to be back, and I'm going to try and make talking about a budget as entertaining as possible through a mix of wit, sarcasm, and... Uh, jellyfish. Butter- and jellyfish. There, I'll say the word jellyfish at least twice for Stephen. That's all I ask. Uh, Megan, first music break. What's happening? Flowers
1: on the she-
0: And... Welcome back. Short music break today because we, I don't know how long talking about the budgets are going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, Stefan might jump in, but I'm, I'm basically just going to talk for this part. Uh, and what I'm going to be talking about is largely just summarizing effectively what's in the news because we're just talking about uh, the budget. So it's more of a, a, more of a list of details. Uh, so what I've tried to do is pull out what I think are the most relevant parts from an environment point of view, from a, v- a variety of news sources, which you can actually read for yourself. Well, as usual, have them all posted on the website. Um, and then I've added, uh, and then I have at the end a little bit of commentary, but I'm gonna mostly try and behave myself, Stefan, and keep mm-hmm. the commenting to the end. I, it's not gonna be perfect, but I'll do, give it the old college try. That's what we appreciate. Uh, so the the big headline item here, of course, and if you've seen anything about this, you would have read, uh, read this, is that it largely focuses on confirma- uh, conservation uh the new budget there's a lot of uh, money from various programs we're going to go through them in a minute uh but the most notable uh, omission is a lack of new fin- uh financing for uh sorry uh, for a lack of financing for new climate change programs so we want to be clear what we mean by that are there climate change programs that are being financed yes were any new ones announced not really uh, not specific there was a lot of alluding to stuff we'll I'll get to that in a moment uh, but it basically doesn't look uh, like there's new programs but it does look like the programs that were already announced are gonna be actually funded so we can sort of s- separate the wheat from the chafe on that in a few minutes but, but I'll keep moving for now uh, the the headline on this is is immediate reaction uh... so uh, sorry uh... so the, the amount of that uh... just specifically on the land and water protection is uh... one point three billion over five years for land and water protection as well as uh, specifically species at risk um, i had a sarcastic comment here in a bracket but I'll come back to that uh, <laughs> uh... uh... and you know on this as far as the just at the meta level the biodiversity loss is a real issue uh... in uh, Canada. I have some numbers on that coming up in a minute, uh, as far as where we actually sit. Um, so that's good. I mean, all the stuff that's in here. There's nothing in here that I see uh, where I think, ah, that's a total sham program, or that's a waste of money, or, or you know, I don't, I don't really have any downsides to what I do see. The T's here is going through is sort of what we don't see. Um, but sort of, so this is a mix. You, you know, it's, there's not, we're not going to get to the end here, and we're going to. This, this is terrible. It's, it's. It's more complicated now, but a little bit more nuanced than that. Uh, so the the numbers on the biodiversity specifically is that it um, is coming. You know, it's a big increase. It's a much needed increase in in addressing biodiversity. It's not a sort of because it, it, for me it kind of felt like well, you know, I think it's important, obviously, but like you know, I'm always wearing both my politics hat and my environment hat, and so my immediately I was like, okay, my environment hat likes that, but my politics hat doesn't really see the constituency for that. Like it seemed like an odd play, but I have a theory. I'll come back to that but as far as the numbers it is actually worse than I thought we haven't talked a lot about this recently Um, but uh, the treaty um, under international commitments Canada has promised to try and bring its conservation of uh, uh, biodiversity up to 17% of its land and inland uh, land and inland waters by 2020 it's currently at 10 so we have to nearly double it this budget will definitely help that no doubt about it Uh, an interesting quote from uh, Finance Minister uh, Bill Morneau which said uh canada is one of the most beautiful beautiful places on earth it's up to all of us to help keep it that way minor injection of sarcasm um i disagree (laughs) i think the earth is beautiful and we don't need to separate it into canada and you know where the rest of that's going so i'll keep that there anyway so i wrote the in the brackets the world instead of canada but uh, we'll leave it there we'll come back to that so uh climate change help for developing nations is definitely referred to um, but not doesn't fill up a lot of time and it's definitely not identified so there's some allusion to it but it's sort of buried into a more general international fund so there is supposed to be money there but it wasn't specifically earmarked and it's coming out of a more general fund there so I really I don't really think that's anything real I mean there might be it might be real but it's not a it's not a tangible thing I don't think we can really either I don't think we can celebrate that as a win I mean it's in, it's in unclear what it's even gonna do it's mixed in with uh, funding covering things like peace and security and human dignity um, and it's only two billion dollars which again for a government is not a big number um, you know and it's sort of hinting at, at various things I, I don't think we can really give any credit for that uh, 120 million over five years for programs already announced uh, which again is a, is a number that sounds bigger than it is uh, but great money money for things that need money cool uh, calling it a nature fund and having a nature fund also in the budget half a billion dollars from the federal government uh, with expectations slash hopes for another uh, half billion bringing up to a billion dollars from a mixture of uh, provinces and private industries Um, a lot of the language around this although not uh, not all of it but a significant amount of language here specifically talking about working with first nations and indigenous communities uh, for this conservation that program sounds pretty cool that was my notes this sounds cool um so good good for that. Uh excellent. Important. Is that enough money? I I don't know. I'm not in a position to make that assessment. Uh, this is large numbers going to things that I think is important. So at the level of understanding that I have, this all sounds pretty good. We'll have to get uh, experts to actually dig into on that. All of the interest so all the ministers that control these files are all quoted as having saying this is greatly needed. Well, it's sort of your department got a bump in their budget so right. of course you're happy like yes. but that is, is all i'm saying is that doesn't mean anything as far as like is that enough to solve a problem well, that just means you're well these someone's are also, happy that their department got a bump
1: well, and these are also you know they're part of the and same yeah, party it's, actual, right? it's not part like the these, aren't, these aren't yeah. these aren't affected communities responding yeah, they weren't, weren't going to come out and were, say
0: thanks for half a billion dollars but i wanted to build it no yeah they would have <laughs> yeah those
1: are conversations that would happen internally which then now they have to you know support or mm-hmm. move on uh,
0: so the um Now, here's one thing, and it was funny because it was uh, um, someone from WW Canada. I'm afraid afraid I didn't copy her name. I apologize to her. Uh, But it was, uh, you know, she was saying, I'm I'm very happy about the money. My cynical side wants to point out that most of the money doesn't kick in until after the election, which is, is, I think she was being very kind there. (laughs) That's extremely relevant. Uh, But fair enough. But as far as, like, you know, on the face of it... um, Several organizations that are usually pretty cynical, or maybe cynical is not a fair word, pretty uh, detail-oriented. Let's say, um, seeming to have initially good reactions. That is also my sort of cautiously optimistic reaction to a lot of this stuff. Um, the budget promises to come in. Uh, s- uh, sorry, uh, uh, the budget does not make specific commitments on wildlife. For instance, it's promise of for 167 million over five years, starting in 2018, 2019, to protect whales. Um, and the southern uh, killer whale and the St. Lawrence beluga all at risk from ship and noise pollution. So, I mean, there's an issue here. So, we'll start to see a sort of a theme being developed. Mm. Can I just, just very quickly on the if, if you're, you're going to say Elizabeth May's quota, it's coming up. Don't worry. It. Uh, it's not, I don't okay. know if it's Elizabeth okay. May, Go it's ahead. May's quota. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: but it might be the same topic, which is that just the concept of if you're concerned about ship and noise effects on, on whales and supporting the Kinder Morgan pipeline. You're getting ahead of me. Okay, okay sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll get there. We're so, getting there. Okay. I save it for the end. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. So a lot of things at risk. It promises a lot of money for a lot of pain points. So uh, uh, whales at risk. Funding for whales. Uh, you know, St. Lawrence beluga at risk. Funding for that. Uh, addressing uh, at least throwing money at at, the, at a bare minimum. Uh, ship noise and water pollution. Promises seventy-five million dollars over five years, start, starting in eighteen nineteen. Um, for cost-sharing plans uh, having to do with uh, invasive species and, and, and the log, uh, affecting the logging industry, and, and very much going to be focused on BC, I would imagine, that, uh, that funding. Um, so good things. Um. So uh, and sorry uh, what was the other one here. Uh, another couple of points. Oh, right. 109 uh, million over five years uh, starting at the end of this year uh, to the tax agency. This I thought was interesting and not interesting as in like, oh, it's clever detail. But it was like, oh, good, good. This is one of those things that that says to me the thing that they are doing. They mean to do it. You know, we have we may have other comments about what they should be doing or what they aren't doing, but they're 109 million over five years to fund the CRA, the Canada's Tax Agency, to actually implement, administer, and enforce the carbon pollution, uh, pollution pricing. Hmm. So the things they are doing, they're serious about it. That's, That's these are the details where you know somebody's serious when they start laying the groundwork for like the unsexy part of it.
1: Well, not only that, they're they're laying the groundwork for the for the ability to actually enact their their. I don't want to say threat, but their expectation uh, on the provinces to have their own framework. You know, I think I believe there was a recent comment about how Saskatchewan basically how the conversation with Saskatchewan isn't do you get a carbon tax or present ca- carbon or not. The question is, do you want a made in Saskatchewan conversation or do you want the federal government to mandate right. it? Do you want to right? pick it
0: or do you want it imposed on you?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so some of this is work is to sort of prepare for if they choose, you ha- like if they force the government, federal government's hand to make it, that decision for them. This is sort of where some of that would have to go.
0: Right. So, in other good areas here, we're we're looking at farmers, foresters, and energy retrofitters, uh, getting two billion uh, from a low carbon economy fund uh, from 2016. Um, so, I I, I missed, I'm not entirely clear on the reporting here. That the the source material for that was unclear. I believe that's new financing for an existing fund is what that's trying to talk about there uh the money is a significant part of the uh, 5.7 billion uh 12 uh, year pan-canadian framework for clean growth and climate change Uh, and the low carbon fund is um Largely going to provinces and territories and things like that. Uh, so yeah, as Stefan mentioned, uh, uh, all but Saskatchewan uh, has signed on to some form of this uh, of their own plan or signed into the federal government's plan. We can probably come back and deal more in like a province by province once the dust is settled on this. Man- Manitoba bit. is also not signed on to this thing. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Saskatchewan seems to be the one that's singled out a little bit more. Yeah,
1: often. I think Manitoba is being quieter about it. Saskatchewan is, is Coy, stomping perhaps? their feet. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think Manitoba is doing a little bit more, yeah. But the, the two of them both have not signed on, so they're not getting the money. That's right. ca- that's part of the, this is like, this is the classic federal government basically using, using the, the money that they have at the disposal to sort of push these things through. In the same way that universal health care came basically from a, we'll give you money if you give your citizens health care. This is a similar sort of, we won't give you money unless you sign on to this agreement, right?
0: So a couple of the big numbers coming up here for the provinces the uh, the lion's share if you will 420 million going to Ontario for retrofitting houses and reducing emissions from farms thumbs up on that Quebec getting 260 uh, 260 million for farmers and foresters to uh, quote unquote adopt best practices whatever that means but that's not sarcasm I just don't know what it means hmm. um, as well as energy retrofitting for buildings and innovations uh, for industries to decarbonize I do know what that means. Two thumbs up. Uh, British Columbians, 162 million for reforestation of public forests, and and just in case anyone forgot that, just because we disagree about oil policy doesn't mean we don't appreciate it. our friends over there in Alberta. 150 million dollars for farmers and ranchers to use energy as well as establish renewable energy, and additional uh, money um, being uh, sent to the Fort McMurray area to help uh, uh, restore forests and whatnot damaged by the Fort McMurray fire, and as it should. Very good. Uh, a, a quick note as well. Uh, further research has shown that Manitoba,
1: while b- was left off because they did not had not signed something, had, did not have something signed. They actually did get it signed like the day before the the budget. I so, think that's yeah, what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've, like they they came yesterday. on board like yeah just before the budget, right. and right. so apparently there'll be there'll be more announcements to give
0: some money out to Manitoba because they right. sort of so are the ink is in still drying. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, quite literally, possibly. <laughs> uh, last a couple of numbers for you: uh, fifty one million for New Brunswick and uh, fifty six for Nova Scotia for energy retrofitting um, and uh, other stuff like that lots of details so what is the story here what's the takeaway so money going to places they they should be a uh, lot of good numbers are the numbers enough we'll have to get some experts in maybe to dig in more in a province by province or or, or perhaps uh, we can get folks to talk about this sort of file-by-file file. but I do have some initial conclusions for you here and, and Stefan this is a great uh, time to jump in with your sarcasm now right fire. Open okay. fire Uh so the real meat here is biodiversity and support for indigenous uh, projects is it good yes is it needed yes is it enough I don't know uh, <laughs> However, a full read between the lines here is more or less what you'd expect from a leader who's going to have another pipeline canceled over his dead body. (laughs) He knows some as a significant part of the population is vehemently opposed, whether you uh, view his uh, position as political optics or an earnest attempt to balance out the damages of pipelines. The fact remains that the number one threat to all of the issues covered in this budget is the oil industry. First Nations land claims, uh, health issues on First Nations uh, land, water issues, biodiversity, international funding, efficiency programs, etc., 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 would all be less urgent if pipelines and the oil companies who operate them were not given priority in the first place. This is, there is billions in this budget for protecting the environment, on top of billions more for part of normal government as uh, part of normal government operations. Throw a few more billion on top of that for subsidizing the oil companies with taxpayer money, and the billions of opportunity costs lost by not investing in green energy as opposed. So again, I'm not saying there's not investments here. I'm saying you could divert that funding and add billions to that total. The math on why we need pipelines part starts to look pretty shaky. So, a uh, great example is uh, Canada investing forty million over five years in severe weather warning systems, but only one hundred twenty million over five years uh, for already announced programs uh, to actually prevent it from happening. Would you, Stefan, spend ten thousand dollars on a security system for a house that you only built for thirty thousand? <laughs> uh, either you're getting ripped off on your security system, or you need to invest more in your house, or it's going to be made of spit and paper towel. Uh, here's Elizabeth May's comment. I love this. Elizabeth May's reaction when asked about uh, the budget quote the horrific reality of conservation of nature in 2018 is you can draw a line around something and the species inside that line will still die if climate changes under them <laughs> <laughs> if we barrel ahead with things like Kinder Morgan pipeline and increase tanker traffic that will be the end of the southern resident killer whale yeah nobody's the, surprised there
1: and that's the thing like <laughs> d- like there is it's very uh, It's. Uh, I guess it's sort of the idea is you can mitigate your weaknesses in some ways you know like the idea of like people will think we're bad on whales so let's give money to whales and and act as if it's okay versus the feeling of like it's kind of audacious to 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 basically be like I recognize the problem with 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 the whales are these whales are having is is tanker traffic and in ch- boat traffic so let us let us do what is explicitly going to increase tanker traffic like of those things words it's like it's I, like they don't get to move. You can't move these people, these these whales somewhere else to to presume they won't get hit. Like it's like the tankers are the problem, and the whales are there. You, increasing tanker traffic won't help the whales. Yeah. There's just not even like a like I don't want to say like Lisa Simpson, but somebody save the whales.
0: <laughs> uh, and, and someone else will be uh, to get nuke the whales. Say nuke yeah, exactly. It, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Stephen, what I had wrote down here was actually an even more pointed. <laughs> metaphor yeah please uh pointed and poignant uh because of its uh, time illness but it's just been what's in my head i was listening to a a non-environment related podcast on on while i was composing my notes and it and bled into my writing here as things do like that so what i wrote down was to make a comparison this is like when an american politician says we can't discuss an assault weapons ban but look how high tech the metal detectors are our schools are <laughs> So finally, in conclusion for me, and then Stefan, please feel free to add anything else you, you uh, have to say about that, is that if the liberals can show Canadians the secret math that full cost accounts for all of this and shows that we actually end up with more climate power, which is a, just a bulk general term for mitigation, environmental protection, all that stuff, with pipelines, than without. So if, this, if the claim that he's making that at the end of the day, hey, trust me, this is actually best for everyone, including the environment, show us the math, uh, because I don't see it and and i don't believe that it exists um i'm pretty confident uh that either uh trudeau would be talking about this if it didn't exist rather than talking down to people like it 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 like it didn't uh, so uh again in conclusion um all of the things in this budget that have been noticed, uh, that have been noted, I think are excellent. Again, if is it enough money? I don't know. We're gonna, and and I'm not going to leave it there. I mean, some of these uh, questions we may decide to try and track down over the next little while. Uh, but is this a day where you know? So often, because Stefan, this has come up quite a bit recently, where uh, particularly with this Kinder Morgan debate, where we talked about this a few weeks ago, where people said, you know, environmentalists just can't take a win. Mm. Uh, do is the, is this that situation that will be my my comment question to you here in the in the last moment um, th- there's a lot of wins here on a lot of important issues uh, but as we identified it seems to be all of that doing that either in good faith or in political optic cynical land to cover for something else that's causing all of those problems right. in the first place should should we count this as a win should we attack this as just smoke and mirrors what is your initial reaction
1: my, my initial rea- I this might, I this might be naive. I'm willing to be naive a little bit. Um, I actually do think Trudeau thinks he's doing the right thing. I actually think he's trying. I actually agree. Um, I, I I don't think he's wrong. I, exactly. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't think he. I I I think he's. I think he truly thinks that what that this is that he's slowly making and he is slowly making progress on a number of issues. That's, you know, undoing the damage Stephen Harper did is a was always going to be a long difficult process and some of the th- and he is clearly and the Liberal government is clearly working towards some of those things. I think what is what's lacking is a understanding of the of the world that we actually live in you know um it's an it's a it's what we're lacking is an understanding of of the direness that of the world that we stand in and so these sort of middling reactions to the world isn't isn't enough, and it's not, it not. only is it not enough; it's 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 arguably almost even worse than it's not. It's not. It's worse than nothing. But it is the, the idea you can placate these issues into like you know into like into small little buckets of money that you can place it in places or or that a two billion dollar amount of money going into uh, going into cl- going into clean tech is going to solve the problem is 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 this is this nuts, right? It's, right. it's not reasonable in any way to perform. Um, and I want to call attention to. Uh, to a, a thing that 350.org is doing mm. uh, around the pi- around this exact question, actually, mm-hmm. uh, which is that on March 5th, or they've, up leading up to March 5th, they basically create run this thing called sh- hashtag Show Us the Science, and they're basically saying, Hey Trudeau, you've said. Um, uh, you've said that the pipelines are safe for BC's coastline, are compatible with Canada's commitments to limit global warming to two degrees Celsius, and in line with with his government's commitment to implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. But he's never shown the evidence to back up these claims, mm-hmm. and that's based. And so 350.org is sort of using this hashtag and emailing an email campaign and a variety of other campaigns to sort of be like, Hey Trudeau, uh, you have until March 5th to show us this data, or we'll, or basically we will uh, we will try we will show the world. Our data, right. basically. Like, if you, you, you if you if you want us to believe that these are the three th- that that Kid and Morgan can pass these three tests, tests, show us how you've done it. Show us your work. Like mm-hmm. any sort of you know any mm-hmm. sort of uh, grade grade you know person who's gone through grade school math has done before. Uh, just don't make us it, do any long division. And and you're gonna and and, and then they're fine. Basically, that, that's the idea. Is like if you can prove this prove it if yeah. you can't admit that you, what you're doing is you know political
0: gamesmanship t- you know trying to like I, and it can be I, I want to point it just really because I think this is really important really quickly it both is actually an answer there it is entirely possible that he is both earnest and trying to take advantage of political optics those two things are not oh, yeah. mutually exclusive <laughs> oh no yeah, yeah.
1: Like, like I think I think it, I, I, I think an, a candid discussion with Trudeau after all of this would be basically him saying I needed this as a way to get alberta to on, sign on i needed a way to sort of keep my centrism as a way to sort of convince everyone to get a climate a, a carbon tax and this is the this is the hill i decided to stand on and and maybe and we'll see die on to to protect this idea of a pan canadian ca- uh, carbon mm-hmm. and that's a conversation you can have mm-hmm. like it's I, I still don't i, I it I doesn't work for me but that is a conversation you can have with canada is this right. trade-off reasonable to you? It's not what's happening, right. right? What's happening is we can have both, right? Which instead of which is not the case, right? And well, so show us the sides. is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, and uh, what I mean, really, what it comes down to, and, and it's it's nothing we haven't said before. We're definitely over time here, but oh, sorry, yeah. sorry for your last topic, Stefan. Uh, but okay. just my final thing on this too, and, and again, it's I'm, I'm repeating myself here, but if, whatever, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is. Uh, you know the idea that there's essentially two different con it's it's not that there's two different opinions there's two different entirely unrelated conversations one of them is what are the politics and the other one is what is the math and the the areas where there are disagreement happening between organizations uh like 350 and in a wide variety of other organizations um and governments who in this case will just continue assuming that regardless of any other factors at play that trudeau is in earnest uh and has absolutely done good things the discussion is has he done enough uh, but the it's a conversation where trudeau is in the and the liberal government and politicians generally are looking at this is what is politically viable and so when you say i want you to do that they say well that is not politically viable the only good answer is the politically viable answer and that is an argument mm. uh, the other argument is yes that is definitely extremely valid and probably takes priority in every conversation where existential human uh, threats to human survival is not on the table but those people are saying this is a case where existential human threat is actually on the survival and you better pull up your socks Um, your math does not work and a half solution is not a solution um and that's the disconnect it's it's not that there's a disagreement about facts within this community of people who are being intellectually honest it's a disconnection about wh- where where is it's that argument it's the disconnection between what is politically expedient and what I feel is possible and where does the physics end up and they're two, they are not connected and I don't believe there is that's a resolvable issue um, and so what I think it comes down to and my message to Trudeau is if you don't think you can make that case if you understand all of this all of this that we've talked about today and you just don't think it's politically viable and you think you're you're doing the best you can and that you really believe in what you're doing and I believe that you probably believe that um then step aside give me the mic let me give me a shot at it because i think i can be way more convincing than you uh there we go that's it you know looking for work prime minister whatever <laughs> um second uh, music break megan what are we going to listen to And we are back. What are we back to? Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Green Majority. This is, uh, I'm your host, Sarah Kester. Stephen Hostetter is in the studio as par usual. We're recording live right now out of CIUT 89.5 FM or f- sort of live, false live out of one <laughs> of our many uh, very live. appreciative fake live. That sounds wrong. That's true. Um, we'll figure out a new word for that. Hmm. Uh, recorded. There you go. Um, <laughs> Figured it out. <laughs> Uh, on one of our very appreciated community radio partners, or you could be listening on the podcast. If you want information about the show, or if you're listening live on a radio station and you want to listen to it in a calmer environment than your car where you actually hear what we say, because we do try, but we understand we speak very fast. Um, we need like a metronome or something in here. Uh, but a good way to do that uh, is to get the podcast. You can find that in all the show notes at greenmajority.ca. But, Stefan, I went over time. I'm infringing on your time uh, now, so. So please, uh, bad news bears. Last topic, go.
1: Yes. Uh, so I have three stories, uh, and th- I've been I've previously been told that I that I scare uh, that I that I'm too negative uh, occasionally on the show, and that I that, and that and that for for those of those of my friends who have children uh, that get sad.
0: Do you then reply to them and tell them that you're actually the optimistic one on the show? Uh,
1: uh, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just I'm, I, I've just been told that I make I make people sad sometimes. So I have two sad stories, but I'm going to finish on a meaningless but bright note at the end of it, which is just a fun story. So just to just to try to, like, I'm going to give you two truly devastating stories and then give you, like, the smallest glimmer of hope. Uh, <laughs> so it's Bad News Bears and then Good News Bricks. Uh, the first Bad News Bears article is basically that there are a bunch of parts of Europe that are colder than the North Pole. Basically, uh, or the Arctic, yeah, the the pole itself uh, doesn't exist, obviously, but the northern Arctic is now basically experiencing some of the hottest temperature it ever has. It's they've, they've gone, They're have they've they now above freezing, and this is like the North-North Pole. Um, even, and they're above freezing even though the sun set last October and won't rise again till later this month. So it's part of the time when there's no light, and yet it is still uh, above freezing. And the, on the northern tip of Greenland, a uh, meteorological site is logged, unprecedented 61 hours of temperature above freezing so far in 2018. And this might not seem a lot, like 61 hours of all of 2018 of weather above freezing but like this is the kind of place remember like whenever you talk about the idea of permafrost uh, that is included in part because there are places where it is always freezing and so if it is not freezing in some of these places in the middle of uh, in the middle of February when it should be when it should be actually incredibly cold um, that is very concerning and and this some of this information is basically like the the risk uh, of a of, of an ice-free Arctic in the summer is like is 50% higher with warming between 1.5 and 2 degrees Celsius is sort of the normal understanding. But this is even this is even being now reconsidered as perhaps even worse than that, uh, given how it's already warmer with 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 a lower percentage. And so, again, to hack back to the beginning of of, of, the, of the jellyfish Armageddon bit, this is part of how we don't know what's actually going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. This is part of that sort of well. I hope nothing bad happens, uh, but we don't know. You know, We can think that these things won't break down until X, Y, Z, and that's why the two degrees even is, is, is sort of thrown out there as a general understanding of scientific community, but th- that, that number itself is sort of a hope. You know, it's, it, it, the, the, the worries that we hit could happen earlier than that, and so to keep thinking that as long as we keep it below two degrees, even that is a bit concerning, basically. And um, and so yeah, and so that's a so there, that's already a, that's so just throwing it out there as a concern. The second s- s- bad news bear story uh, is actually about whales, and and again, kind of a kind of a de- very depressing story, um, which is that the North Atlantic right whales uh, may face extinction after no new births are recorded. So, there's a sort of de- vastly declining fertility within the species of whales, and a rising mortality, uh, and of course, is exacerbated by what? Humans! Yay! Uh, they've overfished their habitats, and so, um, and so there's sort of, th- that's a big part of the reason why we're seeing th- them go down. And it's got to the point where they're basically saying that uh, they will finish a breeding season, a full breeding season, without any new births, uh, which... If you were uh, if you can imagine, is very bad news. If you are a fan of the northern white, northern north North Atlantic right whale, um, and so they're they're basically saying without, they're warning that without human intervention, uh, the fe- species will face extinction. And uh, uh, part of that is also important to note, which is humans are now at the point where we are not only the cause of extinction, but also, like, considering ourselves the only solution to extinction. You know, it's got this point where, like, we are going to overfish your habitat to a point where you can't live in the wild, and so now you must live, basically, in these tanks that no one actually thinks are, you know, are humane for whales. And and whales are, like, let's... I should point out this like, as, a, as an ongoing theme of how little we know. It, the, the little we know about some whales is, is uh, enormous. Like whales are these fascinating creatures that we know, like there are some whales we barely even understand at all. Um, and there's like, because of how big the oceans are and how hard it's on the whales. And so the concept of like, that we could just, you know, find a way to resuscitate this particular set of whales is a little, might be a little, uh, you know, the opposite of humble. Maybe shall we sure. Say. Well, uh, just
0: and and uh, I believe you were there that week, but it was a while ago. I'll remind you. We actually had to. And I, I apologize to her. I'm forgetting her name, but we did actually have the woman on to uh, who wrote the book about uh, uh, bringing essentially Jurassic parking uh, right. animals and whatnot. Yeah, so yeah. The, yeah that, that's it's a very interesting topic. I I agree with you that we shouldn't be pinning our survival hopes on it. Uh, but yeah, it's a real thing. People are really working on.
1: Well, yeah. And, and, and these are and these are whales. And this you don't have to bring them back. But they still exist, right? There's still 430 North Atlantic right whales that left in the world, uh, but only about a hundred of them are potential mothers mm. uh, and so and at the rate we're killing them off which is a depressing statement from Matthew uh, Bumgartner a marine ecologist in Woods Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts uh, basically thinks that these hundred females will be gone in 20 years and so we're relying on 20 a hundred of these whales to repopulate the entire whale population of, of these northern North Atlantic white right whales in while we don't kill them in the next hundred in 20 years basically and this is given given the other things that we have done uh i would be somewhat surprised if we pull this off but it is important just to note like this is a part of like whales get a very big uh sort of you know their Their extinction, I think, make a bit of a bit of a bigger news, uh, because they're sort of you know charismatic megafauna. I think is what you call them, and and so. And so they, they sort of can make this news of of, of you know of uh, if there's 430 of them left, they're still the news of their extinction is 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 at least you know making the Guardian. Whereas the amount of animals we're losing without even knowing they exist in, in some places is 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 just astronomical. Mm-hmm. And so while 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 this news story is obviously very important, I would sort of hearken it to a larger news story of this the fact that we really are in this moment of the number of things that are going extinct in our world is is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But But to everyone, I have (gasps) one, but but I I have one good piece of news. Can't be that good. There's only four minutes left. Go ahead. Uh, Oh, it is, it is, (laughs) it is both, it is both absolutely meaningless, uh, but also kind of fun um and it will not save the world that's the best kind of meaningless exactly um so do you remember like years ago we had we had a conversation with kevin farmer on the show at one point where we and we never set out to figure this we never f- I've, I've since then i've been trying to get the answer to this question
0: i beloved former host I beloved for former for host. new exactly. for new listeners yes. he was with us for many many years
1: yes um and the question was whether or not after when if oil production was not occurring how much more expensive would plastics become mm-hmm. you know could plastics exist within uh, within a world would they be as cheap would they be as useful in a world in which you didn't have access to to just to, to, to the to the byproducts of oil because of how much we were using for oil to burn well one company has thought has as has in some ways seen this and decided to go uh, to get out ahead of the issue uh, and try to become more sustainable from the get go which is Lego Lego has decided that they are going to make, uh, their new Lego bricks, uh, out of sugarcane plastic or sugarcane based plastic, uh, instead of, instead of, and they're doing it first with all of their trees. Uh, so, for the first thing that they're making out, they're rolling out sugarcane plastic in, and all of the sort of tree and bush and green things that, that exist are all now going to be made of sugarcane plastic uh, instead of instead of the regular plastic that they've been using. Uh, and it's their first, they're calling it their first sustainable Lego brick. Mm. Um, and they've made a Lego botanical elements, including leaves and trees, will now be made from sugarcane plastic. The first greens are to appear in Lego sets later this year. Um, And the idea, I think, is to slowly maybe slowly roll over and actually make all of the bricks sustainable uh, from the sort of sugarcane. And I'm sure we'll very soon discover how mass sugarcane production is going to ruin the world. Well, I'm sure they can only grow it in the rainforest. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So but uh, I like Lego as a thing. Uh, I like sustainability as a thing, and so I felt like to give everyone a little piece of of, of fun at the end, um, and also because Legoland doesn't allow you to enter uh, without a child, uh, and so I have to find I have to convince my sister to like let me borrow my her, my niece so we can go to Legoland. Um, The only time I get to talk about Lego is is apparently on this show Um, And so like in a move towards more general sustainability This is kind of a it's like obviously a somewhat silly story There's not a part of me who's actually going to go out there and say hey everyone Climate change is over Lego now has sustainable bricks sort of in in their leaves And also like they've definitely chosen the worst type of bricks. Like, they've just chosen the stuff that you don't actually use in anything, but are like the frills outside. It's almost as if, like, it's a nice idea, but also it's it's kind of the it's kind of a great metaphor for for greenwashing, which is, like, we're just putting on a bunch of sustainable leaves onto a thing that's made by hydrocarbons. Like, <laughs> let's just create a gigantic system of hydrocarbons that you put in piece by piece by piece and then put on a couple of sustainable leaves at the top of it, and suddenly we're all good. It is an excellent metaphor. Exactly. That's a great metaphor from, from Lego. Uh, although, again, I'm shifting back into depression, which is probably not where I should go, given I said I would end on a good news. Well, that's good. Um, we're nearly out of time. Amazing. So I will just <laughs> say... Uh, they're like, in this world of things that are all bad, um and and jellyfish uh, are coming to get us, there we at least can have sugar plant cane uh,
0: Lego bricks. And, you know, that's it's something right. I have two very, very confusing left wing final comments in the in the <laughs> seconds to go that I'm not even going to try and qualify. One first one, two words, moon farming. Mm. Second one, uh, can we hurry up and confirm aliens already? Because that, I'm pretty sure, is going to pull us all together and stop thinking about each other's countries. And, man, tribalism bores me. Those are my two (laughs) messages for the end of the day. Thank you very much for listening to The Green Majority. And thank you, Stefan, for joining me and all of our wonderful new volunteers for contributing to this show. You helped a lot. And you, the listeners, because you're great. Uh, Have a good green week, and we'll see you real soon.